So we just came back from Virginia Beach. We were down there. We were doing some music at the K, Virginia Beach KOA. The people down there that own that are believers, and uh, we, they've let us stay there for free numerous times. And so we said, hey, can we do something for you? They had us play music. said, well, we're going to make it a working vacation. So we did a couple of two-hour sets on a couple of weekends for them. And, uh, and I brought my grandsons, uh, and actually my granddaughter showed up too. And, uh, and yeah, I've got... Three grandsons and one granddaughter, and she is the sweetest angel you'll ever meet, and they are three little demonic beings. Um, and one of them is extra special. Uh, Alex, who is the youngest one, he is uh, eight years old, and he is just, oh man, I, just energy everywhere. And I love it. I love it. I try to get out there with a man and, and tire. I realize the key is to tire them out. No wonder you teachers have such problem with little boys. You want them to sit down and shut up. Forget it. Wear them out, man. And so uh, he would get up in the morning and, and I, I, well, I, we got there earlier uh, when they first got there. I told him, I said, Alex, when, when I was your age, man, when I got out of school in the summer, I took my shoes off, I took my shirt off, and I didn't put them back on until I went back to school in September. And so, sure enough, the whole time he's running around, nothing but his swimming trunks, everywhere that he would go, you know. And like on day three, I told him, I said, if you run barefoot long enough, your feet get tough on the bottom, you know. Day three, he's still walking around going epop because that's what they call me. I have no idea why, but I know I'm the only epop in the world. I'm pretty sure of it. He goes, epop. How long does it take for your feet to get tough? And, uh, and so he just stayed, but he stayed barefoot the whole time. They were actually with us for almost two weeks. But he got into this game called Gaga Ball. Anybody ever played Gaga Ball in this service? Raise your hand if you ever heard of Gaga Ball. Well, my grandson is the champion of the world at Gaga Ball. And he played 90% of the time. They had a pool. They had a bounce pillow. They had, they had water slides. They had all these activities. But that boy was in that Gaga pit, is what they call it, which is basically an octagon-shaped pit with AstroTurf on it. And you slap a ball around at each other like dodgeball, trying to knock people out by hitting them in the leg. And I don't know what the rules are exactly. But Alex was in that thing. He would be in that thing by himself at 9 o'clock in the morning, just waiting for the next victim to show up. Let's go. I'm ready. And he play. I mean, he'd be sweating. You know how little boys just drip, sweat dripping off of him, all stinking by the end of the night, you know. But I'm telling you what, he was passionate about Gaga Ball. And that's what I want to talk to you about is your passion this morning. What are you so passionate about? You wake up in the morning and you say, put me in the pit. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. You get up in the morning just dreading life and, and uh, that commute you have to make to work. How do you stir your passion? How do you find your passion? Passion in the, in the dictionary is defined as an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Not just going through the motions, but an intense desire or enthusiasm. The Urban Dictionary says passion is when you put more energy into something that is required to do it. More energy than is required to do it. That thing you just get lost in. I believe that we in the kingdom of God should be passionate about the things that we put our hand to. The Bible says whatever you put your hand to, do it with all your might. So whatever you put your hand to, whatever you're, it's great that your spirit's connected to Jesus. It's great that you, but what do you put your hand to? Do it with all your might, whatever that thing is. And if you're not passionate about what you're doing, then ask yourself, well, what would I be passionate about doing? Stop putting yourself in a box. God can make a way where there seems to be no way to put your hand to the thing that you really want and would love to do. Passionate people are changing the world. 
You know, I, I and, and I'm talking practical stuff. I'm, I'm passionate for Jesus. I certainly hope if you're a Christian, you're passionate for Jesus, that that's the bottom line, that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it for his glory so that I can be a reflection of him. Let's get past that and say, well, let's get down to the practical things. If I mention the name Truett Cathy, how many of you ever heard of him? Truett Cathy, you know who he is. Raise your hands so I feel like I know. Well, Truett Cathy founded Chick-fil-A. He started a little restaurant in Atlanta called The Dwarf. It turned into, and it was just a restaurant. It was a diner. And then he started getting discounts on these little chicken fillets. He started using his mama's chicken recipe, and suddenly it became Chick-fil-A. And guess what? He's a Christian and a believer, and you know they're closed on Sunday still, right? Right? And so, and they, they just crush all the competition when it comes to fast food. And they're privately owned. They're not even a franchise. And, and so, uh, I mean, they're not on the stock market or whatever. And so, uh, he's, would you say that Truett's passion has, has impacted the world a little bit? Well, it wasn't his passion for Jesus, probably underlying it all it was, but it was his passion for a chicken patty. <laughs> they didn't invent the chicken, just the chicken sandwich. But that, he put his hand in making the best chicken sandwich and the, and, and forming the best restaurant that he could. And you look at other people that, that, you know, we, I, I mentioned Carson Wentz in the earlier service. Any Eagles fans here? Any Eagles fans here? A couple of you? Okay, I'm a Redskin fan. You can leave. Um, <laughs> Just picking on you. But Carson Wentz, we could name Russell Wilson, a bunch of different famous athletes. Isn't it awesome when you find out that they're a Christian and they're a believer and they're a light? Carson Wentz is a, a, a dedicated believer. Isn't that great when you find out somebody famous, some actor or whatever? I'm not talking about Carson Wentz today because of his faith. I'm talking about Carson Wentz today because he can throw a football accurately. He was passionate about that ball in his hand, and he got so good at what he was passionate about that now people, he's gained a platform to talk about who he does it for ultimately, and that's Jesus. And so we think about other people like Martin Luther King, who was a reverend, of course, but that's not why everybody knows his name. Is because he was passionate about racial equality that we're talking about Martin Luther King today. Steve Jobs, how many of you have an iPhone this morning? Pull your iPhone out just so I know how many iPhone users there are. Hit your button so I can see it lit up like we're at a rock concert. Look at my beautiful wife. All right, do it. Keep them up just for a second. Okay, all the iPhone users, all right, hold them up. All right, now all the Galaxy Note or Galaxy phone users, lift your lift yours up. Booyah, you are crushed. I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, thank God. I, I, I don't think Steve Jobs was a Christian, but thank God he was passionate about what he put his hand to. What a great tool uh, the, the iPhone has become. And you can go to Facebook right now. I'll give you permission. Go to Life on the Verge and like our page or go to the Verge report and sign up for our newsletter. Just teasing. You can't do that, though. I don't mind. Passionate people... Give us a great gift. One of the greatest gifts that we can give each other that you can give other people is the gift of inspiration. They see you do it. You know, sometimes we say, you know, uh, why did we put a man on the moon? Well, it becomes a reference for everything. Well, if they can put a man on the moon for crying out loud, they can make a decent donut, you know. Uh, we, we use it as a reference. If you can put a man on the moon, it's an inspirational thing. And so passionate people, when you're passionate about what you're doing, you're inspiring other people to step out on their passion. Passionate people are curious dreamers. Passionate people are people that never stop asking what could be, what should be, what must be. Passionate people aren't afraid to wrestle with things like vision and strategy and planning. They understand that, that 
you know, God doesn't always just show up and say, you were born for this. He makes us dig a little bit as we delight ourselves in him. There, you know, the Bible says in one of the Proverbs, I should have brought the reference today, but uh, the horse is made ready for battle, but the Lord brings the victory. Well, who gets the horse ready for battle for crying out loud? There's a lot of things that God is saying, I'm waiting for you to do. I gave you the capacity to do it, to plan it. What's in your heart to do? If you're headed the wrong direction, it's a whole lot easier to steer something that's moving. Just get moving. Start working with vision. What is it? What would you do if you had $10 million in your bank account right now? Other than the vacation and the car and the nice house. What, what passion would burn in you to do with that money? If, if you came to me, if you got a plan for it and I could write you a check right now, most of us don't. And I ask you, what responsible father would give $10 million to his son that has a $3 vision for his life? Huh? And so I get up a lot of mornings and I try to answer that question. What would I be doing right now? Not way off in the future. That, that helps. But what would I, who would I call? What would I be working on? What would I be applying my hand to if money were no object? If, if the sky was the limit? That's faith, right? And, and so God is good. If we, if we invest, sometimes we're fearful. Oh, I might invest too much time in the wrong thing. And I'll get to that point in a minute. But, but uh, we don't do anything. We sit around paralyzed and we're waiting for God to just show up in a dream and, and, and God is saying, no, you, by faith, step in the direction that you do the thing that you can do. Passionate people understand the power of hard work and sustained focus at whatever they're doing. Right? And think about how many times that, that uh, Carson Wentz had to throw a football to get accurate at it. One of the first scriptures I taught my children, Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Boy, I have known some talkers in my life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to do it without hard work. You're not going to excel at it. Passionate people understand when you think you've done a good job, keep going. They understand the one more principle. If you say, I'm going to do 10 push-ups, do 11. Always go a little bit further. If you live like that on your job you're in right now, you're going to get promoted, plain and simple. You'll be known as the extra level person. And, and passionate people understand it's going to take a whole lot more work than sometimes we realize to get where you're trying to go. You know, those people, people are Noted a couple of times in my life, I've dropped 40 or 50 pounds. I'm going through a police academies. I've learned how to do it. And I guess in October, I was like, I finally said, okay, it's, it's, I know what I got to do. I got, I know what I got to do. You know, and then people want, well, does, is it the South Beach diet? Is it the keto diet? Is it this diet? Is that diet? You know, all diets work if you'll be consistent at it, whatever it may be. Well, let me tell you, it's easy. It really is easy. All I had to do is eat 1,500 calories a day and run 30 minutes six days a week in the snow, in the rain, in the freezing cold. It didn't matter. That's all. For about four months, it fell, it just fell off. Run six days a week and eat 1,500 calories a day. It takes a lot more work than we think. It's not just that your metabolism slowed down. It's that you're not working hard enough. Am I boasting in how good looking I am? Darn right I am. I got the microphone. Why not? Just teasing. Not bad, but he's losing his hair. Um, Passionate people view failure as a teacher. 
You know, they, they understand that failure is part of the process. Listen, if you've never been utterly embarrassed and felt so horrible for the job that you try to do good at something and you just totally flubbed it in front of everybody and you just want to quit and you question, was I ever born to even do this kind of thing? For you musicians up here, you get up here, you get a chance to lead a song and you forget the words or you break a guitar string or you sing out a key or you stumble or, or, or you peed on yourself in the bathroom and it's going your <laughs> Listen, if you've never been there and just wanted to quit and truly failed at what you put your hand to, then you're just not going to grow. That's part of the process. That I'm not, I'm not getting, you know, not recently I had a couple of music events that didn't go quite as well. Man, I was just so frustrated and I was inspired by Michael Jordan, you know, is famous for the Nike commercial. Maybe you've seen it or heard it, but Michael Jordan for you young folks is probably one of the greatest basketball, not probably, he is one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. And he said this, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and miss. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Failure is a great, great teacher, and passionate people understand that. Passionate people aren't always the best at what they do. They're the best that they can be at what they do. Sometimes we get intimidated. Oh, man, I look at this guy just shredding his guitar on YouTube, and I'm like, why try? Well, I'm not trying to be as good as that guy. I'm trying to be the best that I can be at what I do. That's what passionate, passionate people aim to be remarkable at what they do. That people see what you do and it's worthy of remark. You do it so well, it's worthy of remark. People are saying, man, did you see this or that? That person put their hand to this. I was talking to one of the guys that helped paint this church, uh, the painter that did the church. And it's remarkable, isn't it? might not know his name, but you can walk around and go, my, the, the paint looks really good. They did a good job on this or, or whatever it may be. Passionate people are influencers. Passionate people built this church and not just people that were passionate uh, uh, about, um, you know, like Pastor Chris that had the vision and the, and the board, but, but people that were passionate about the financial angle of things, people that were passionate about the paint, people that were passionate about swinging a hammer. P- passionate people change the world that we live in. It's critical as Christians that we dig deep and say, God, what was I created for? What passions are still hidden in me? Maybe you're a young person and you, you're like, I just don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Or maybe you're 60 years old and you're going, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. That's all right. That's all right. Been there, done that. Matter of fact, it's only been in the last eight years or so that I've really got a sense that, wow, this thing has really blossomed and all these pieces came together to prepare us for what we're doing today. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do that we should walk in them. God gave you your I tell inmates all the time, God gave you your own fingerprint and your own DNA. It might be what landed you here, but you need to know that you are an individual, that you're the only one of you, the only one of you that will ever be created, that has ever been. And there are skills and abilities and sometimes wounds and and experiences that God will put, they're part of the works he prepared in advance for you to do. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave this life with, with music still in me. 
Hear what I'm saying? I want to, I want to live out everything, every possibility that God has put in me to accomplish. I want to live life full throttle until I leave this life. I'm not looking to retire on some hill somewhere, uh, and, and just sit back and sip my sweet tea on the, uh, on the porch. Listen, I, I've been there. I've lived what they call the American dream. If that's your deal, that's fine, but it ain't mine, man. I want to be moving and grooving and doing for God until I leave this life, because this ain't nothing but the test trial for eternity. You hear what I'm saying? You'll blink your eyes, and just like dear Mary Murphy, who went to be with Jesus at 102 years old, 100 years, boom, it goes like that, before you know it. So I want to be living full on with what life I have left. I want to know these works. Many, many believers struggle with what I call passion deficit disorder, PDD. I don't know what I'm passionate about. So I want to give you a couple of antidotes for, for passion deficit disorder. Maybe you're somebody here you're struggling with. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. It's been a long time since I have that, that, that I haven't been putting my hand to something that I wake up in the morning and I, I, I don't feel like I'm excited to get, get to work on something. I got, I, man, I, my problem is turning work off. I love what I do so much. It really is. I, I mean, especially when you work, my office is in my house or it's in the camper. And, uh, and so, man, I want, I want you to live that way too. I hope that you love what you're putting your hand to. And, and it's tapping into that thing God created you for that ignites that. But here's, here, here is a couple of antidotes that are really been life lessons for me. Realize that this, antidote one, that God's more concerned with who you are becoming than what you are accomplishing. God's out to make us a mirror reflection of Jesus to this world around us. You know, you take for somebody, uh, take for instance somebody that that their character has not been shaped and, and they don't understand the power of self-control and they get a, a multi-million dollar football contract, what happens? Sometimes we read all about in the news how they blew it because they didn't have self-control. So God is all about shaping our character and making sure that our faith is at the level of where it needs to be before he releases us into the things that he has for us. And so there's that, there is that time in the fire. I got saved in 1982. I lifted my guitar to Jesus right after I got saved. And I said, Lord, I've used this for all the wrong reasons. I want to use it for your glory. Let's go. Ten years later, I'm still not, I mean, I, I started to noodle around in church eventually with my guitar, but I wasn't using it. And, uh, and, and actually I, I started mopping the floor after youth at, at this particular youth group. And, and one thing led to another. They discovered I played guitar. And then me and my brother formed a Christian band called Holy Warfare, which, uh, was my, that was, that was like what I'd always dreamed. Not a, not a worship team, but a band that could go out and, and stand with the best bands outside of church and rock out, but then share our testimony, be able to do that kind of thing. And so God miraculously brought this thing together. It was just crazy and gave us the songs. And I thought, let's go. My passion is ignited. Let's go. And so uh, I was working at that time as a Norfolk police officer. I was working in the forensics division, uh, uh, processing crime scenes, the most murderous years that Norfolk had ever experienced, a lot of the country because of open-air crack cocaine markets and whatnot. And so I was cleaning up the devil's handiwork every day. And I wanted to do, I wanted to make a huge difference before people ended up like that, right? I wanted to reach people before they ended up in a body trace or a body bag. And so uh, Holy Warfare formed, and that's where I looked at it. 
this is warfare. How do you, how do you, uh, fight death with life? You know, cause it wasn't just people that were dying by homicide. It was, it was car crashes and industrial deaths and infant deaths that I was seeing day in, day out. And, and I want, how do I combat this? Well, now I got this guitar in my hand and I have opportunity. Let's go, God. And so I, I had this hellish commute to get to work. I mean, I, I mean, an hour one way in perfect traffic, and it was never perfect, and uh, and rotating shifts. And so as much as I was good at what I was doing in forensics, I was ready to go do something more proactive and work in ministry and with my guitar. And I'm, I'm straddling this line, and I'm ready to make this leap, but I figured I ought to have an appointment with my pastor. I, I'm going to go start a lawn care business on my own, and uh, and then I can also do music and somehow God will help ends meet. Now I got three little kids and a mortgage payment. So, you know, but my passion's on fire, man, let's go. And so I made this appointment with my pastor and he basically just poured cold water all over my fire and said, you're getting way ahead of God. You're, you're, the devil's trying to get you to jump out of the nest too soon. And, and, uh, and so I, I, you know, I, he was tears in his eyes as he told me this. I know he really cared about me. And I really wanted to punch him right in the mouth because he did not tell me what I wanted to hear. Yeah, Mark, you're a great man of faith. Go for it. And uh, and so I walked out of his his uh, office and I was so angry. I, I drove to work that day and God cooled me off on the drive. And and I, I finally went and I bought him a card and uh, just said, hey, thanks for being a spiritual father to me. And and I and I, I didn't quit my job. God began to use me in that job like He'd never used me before. And it wasn't I, probably not a month later than an opportunity opened up for me to take a job closer to home, working in a high school. It was a stepping stone to the next thing. I'm telling you all that to say that God was interest, more interested in me becoming someone that understands the fruit of the Spirit, patience. He was more interested in me understanding what it is to be under leadership to be a part of the team of what God is doing in the earth. Not, he's more interested in who I was becoming than what I was doing, trying to make me a mirror image of Jesus. And so if that's the case, God's going to put you, if, if you're, if you're passionate about something, he's going to put you through a character boot camp, just like he did all the great heroes of the Bible. Anybody that's ever used great, been used great for God, they're going to, you know, God's going to put you out there to do something that's far bigger than you could ever accomplish. You know, I mean, that's when you know you're really tapping into the things God prepared for you because you can't do it without God and without his people. And so there has to be this time in the fire during the time with my grandson's we had a campfire every single night, and uh, well, one night it rained. We didn't, but uh, and we had s'mores by the fire every night. You know, I wanted to give them experiences, and of course, like little boys, they want to play in the fire, and all the moms go, oh, and the dads go, yeah, that's right, and so. Uh, so they would get sticks and start poking around in the fire, poking the logs, right? And, and then the stick would catch on fire. And boy, it was on then, you know. And then I showed them, they'd take it and it'd get a little red hot and they'd back off in the dark and they'd swing it around and sparks would go everywhere and, and, uh, Susan would go, ah, and, uh, and then the sparks would go out or they'd stamp them out. I had water and everything, chill out. And so, uh, and then they were amazed when I showed them if you left the stick in the fire long enough that it, the wood would get conditioned to the point that when you pulled it out, even if the fire went out, when you blew on it, added oxygen, what happens? It reignites. Did you know that? How many of you did not know that? Admit it. Come on. 
And so, so they would do that. They'd put it in the fire and leave it for a while. I said, no, a little longer, a little longer. The wood's got to be conditioned. When you pull it out, then you can blow on it and it will ignite into a flame again. Isn't that amazing? And of course, like little boys, you know, it was probably the second night. They're showing up with sticks like this and they're like, Okay, E-pop, you know, and I'm like, well, you know what, son? That, that, that is gonna have to stay in the fire a whole lot longer, but it's gonna burn a lot brighter. You get the point here? Is if we're gonna be used for God and we're gonna burn long and bright, we're gonna end up spending a little bit of time in the fire. And then all it takes, you may get frustrated, and if you don't get to your quitting points at times and want to just throw in the towel and it's only the Holy Spirit that says, nope, get back up one more time, one more time. In one day, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. One breath of God can ignite that fire if the wood has been conditioned, if we've been conditioned. So God is far more uh, interested in who we are becoming than what we are accomplishing. Amen. Amen. Come on, people. Laura, again, patronizing me. Uh, just teasing. I've known Laura for a long, long time. So I can tease her. Uh, antidote two, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. When you don't know what else to do, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Now, I understand anything can be the work of the Lord. Anything you put your hand to can be the work of the Lord. St. Augustine said, if you are loving and diligent, you can do whatever you like. If you're doing it with the right motives to love God and love people, anything can be the work of the Lord. But I'm going to share you share with you my story of what it meant to give myself fully to the work of the Lord when I didn't know what else to do. And so when I got saved in 1982, I was a strung out little teenager that uh, was basically the son of a convict and raised in a trailer hood kind of thing and and really saw a lot of stuff. And by the time I hit the eighth grade, I stopped trying. I only showed up for school uh, for the girls and the drugs and whatever. And I got kicked out of not one, not two, but three high schools in three different cities in the Tidewater area. And I got arrested by every local police department apartment for some petty thing, the things that I got caught at a half a dozen times. And so I was living in a little beat up apartment that was smaller than the stage with a girl that I met in Mr. Minkowski's homeroom class in the seventh grade. And, uh, but I had this Jesus in my back pocket that my mama taught me about. And the whole time that I'm, I'm, I'm just going down the tubes, man, I'm realizing, oh Lord, I got liquor on the counter, beer in the fridge, weed in my pocket. My lights are getting turned off. There is a value problem. And, uh, and I don't know why God let me see at 19 years old, but I knew it was going to take complete surrender. And I'd made up my mind that I'm not going to play games with God. He's, he's getting all of me I, I, or none of me. You know, I've, I've sinned and I've did it full throttle. I'm going to live for God full throttle or I'm not going to play games with it. I'm not going to be perfect. Don't get me wrong, but I'm going to give it my best effort. And so finally on November 23rd, 1982, after being drunk like multiple nights in a row, I came home and I got on my knees and I began to pray, Jesus, I give up. I can't change myself. I can't quit these habits. And my girlfriend walked in and, and she, uh, didn't know what was going on, had no real background in the faith. My mom had taken me to church, but she had no background in the faith. I said, Hey, just pray this prayer with me and, and we're going to find a church on Sunday. And, and so, uh, me and this girl started going to church. Within 30 days, uh, we were married and this December will be 37 years that we've been married. But the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they're a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so, uh, so I, I got God, the most amazing things he gave me my brain cells back is that I could study again, which was crazy. My brain got cleared and, uh, and I got, I was the first in my family to get like a GED. And then I got involved in this vocational school. And so basically what I did 
is I started to, I took my ladder, my life ladder, hope I don't knock your computer over. I took my life ladder and I leaned it against the wall called technology because I felt like, you know, I started studying electronics uh, in a vocational school, then ended up in college, and then just got really amazed with how smart I was. You know, this kid that, did, that went to algebra class one time, and they said A plus B equals C, and I said, that's of the devil, I won't be back. Now I'm passing... I'm passing trigonometry and I'm passing calculus and, and suddenly I'm so busy getting carried away with the blessings of God that I've completely put the blesser in the back seat. I couldn't make church. I got finals for crying out loud. I got to write a paper. But hey, when it's all over with, I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to go to work for the Christian Broadcasting Network and help declare the gospel to the world. I'll give it another semester or two. You know, no, I got a second thought. I'm going to go out and make $100,000 a year and I'll just give a bunch of money to the church. So I'm, I'm, and I'm excelling at this, right? And first in my family, I'm getting pretty excited with how smart I am. And I'm, I mean, I got like a 3.7 grade point average for crying out loud. Yeah, guy got kicked out of three high schools. And uh, and so I, but then I get to that, right, the last semester, as a matter of fact. My last semester, I got like a 3.2 because I didn't care anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't want to sit in a cubicle. All you cubicle dwellers, God bless you, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to work. I wanted to be, I'm a people person. So I got to the top of the ladder of technology and that, that career path, and I said, Oh man, I just, why did I, I went to school for two years, actually three years because I had to make up for high school studies to get here and I don't like the view. And so about that time, uh, a friend of mine was joining the local police department down in Norfolk, Virginia and I thought, wouldn't that be wacky? You know, I never got arrested as an adult. Okay, man, let's do it. I put my application in. And so that's about an eight-month process. And, of course, I had a college degree, so that did help a little bit. And I'd been clean five years, and I hadn't done any of that stuff. And I was a different person. And and uh, and so I went through the process, the polygraphs and all that stuff. And the last step was to go before this review board. And I get to the review board, uh, which is these senior officers and ranking officers that have your whole jacket in front of them so they can ask you questions about your polygraph and your background and all that stuff. And I walk in, and two of the guys on that review board were cops that had arrested me when I was a kid. And they're like, oh, great. And so, but I got the job. So I'm climbing the ladder. Two years and two months, I become a detective. The youngest detective at the time was 20, I think it was 27 or something like that. And uh, actually, 23, 20, I was 25. And uh, I wasn't, I was a detective for three years, and then I got, uh, Kind of sort. It wasn't really a promotion, but it's a very elite job in forensics. I moved into the forensics division where you get to go to all these schools and you have a very kind of elite squad. And and I was learning all this stuff. And they were sending me like three month long schools to learn forensics and all that. And and it was when I got to this point, I was like, you know what? This is a very fulfilling job, but I don't want to be a cop all my life. I want to do something like I said, my first point that reaches people before they end up in a body trace. Uh, can you, are you kidding me? Wrong again. And then I realized, you know what? If I lean my ladder against the church wall, none of it is the wrong direction. You see, if you showed up here this morning and simply sweep the floor or set chairs, that's never going to be wrong. That's never going to be wrong. If you showed up today to, to work sound for the service, that's never going to be wrong. 
So I, whatever I invest, I found out that when I leaned my ladder against the church wall, I found mentors that would help me discover my passion. They would help correct my course. And I'm not talking in past tense, my friends. I have a couple of mentors I call at least once or twice, you know, every week or other week. And I run things by them. People that are older, that are further. I've been married 37 years. I just talked to two people last week. One's been married 40. The other's been married 50. Uh, they're further down the ministry road than me, kind of doing a similar thing, what we do. When I lean my ladder against the church wall, I, that's where I've discovered these things that were in me that I never would have discovered on my own. And it wasn't me discovering them alone. It was other people saying, do you, do you know what? I, I, did, I didn't realize. I mean, I showed up. They asked me to mop the floor. That was my first task. Mop the floor after youth. I had no idea that out of the end of that mop handle, they would find out that I've also played guitar and they'd ask me to play on their worship team. And so I played on the worship team and I had no idea that, that someone would hear some tape I made a long time ago and say, hey, you know what? You got a pretty good voice. Would you sing a song for the youth group? What? This is massive for me. This is the scariest thing I think I'd ever done. I'm facing criminals on the job, but this was far more scary to get up in front of a bunch of kids and sing. Then I got asked to lead worship. Then I got asked to sing the lead in this huge Easter production thing, which was crazy. But God was, you know, helping me discover my passion when I leaned the ladder against the church wall. That, you know what, wow, maybe this music thing wasn't just a hobby thing from my childhood. I didn't realize that it'd be an instrument of my ministry to this, to this day. That, that God would use these things that were in me that I would have never discovered had there not been other believers. The beautiful thing about the church is that everybody here, you have to love each other whether you like each other or not. Right? We're all trying to do ultimately the same thing. So I found mentors. Uh, when I lean, lean my ladder against the, the church wall, my steps were confirm, confirmed and, and sometimes my course was corrected. When I, when I leaned my ladder against the church wall, I learned to hear the voice of the Lord, what it was to walk with the Lord. I learned to overcome offense, you know? If you become part of a family, a church family, I mean, for crying out loud, you, you all of you probably come from families, I would imagine, unless some of you were created in test tubes or something, and families are you. They offend each other. You don't just quit the family. So I learned in church how to overcome offense. If you've been coming here any length of time and you haven't been offended, just stick around. It's going to happen. And you're going to have to learn to overcome offense for your own good. Get over yourself, right? And, and so I'm telling you this because a young youth pastor came into the church where I'd been mopping the floor, then I was playing the guitar, then I was leading worship, and this young youth pastor comes in, 23 years old, I'm 28 years old, 29 years old, he's from a middle class family, I'm from the trailer hood, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I've been a cop for a number of years by then, I got some street smarts, he really don't, and he comes in and makes a really bad decision concerning the worship team, in my view. I won't go into details, it, was, it made me so mad I was going to quit the worship team and just go work with the adult worship team, never mind the youth. Not just me, but the drummer and the bass player also wanted to quit. And God dealt with my heart and he said, hey, not only are you not going to quit, you're going to tell those other guys they're not quitting either and you're going to get up under this young youth pastor and you're going to submit to his leadership in this part of your life. I, I, I just knew it in my spirit, that's what I was supposed to do. Now that was probably about 1992, so let's flash forward, how many years is that? 30 30 some years I had no idea that that young youth pastor if if I had not learned to get over that offense and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't be my friend today today he pastors a church of about 2,000 people 
Um, we're based out of his church in Richmond. And your speaker next week, Nate Clark, who's an incredible speaker that's about to plant an incredible church, is also planted out of that church. I didn't realize that that young youth pastor that offended me would one day be responsible for a church that would give almost a quarter million dollars to Life on the Verge since we started. Had no idea. They'd be so instrumental in helping us get this new RV. And I could talk about offenses right here when I was on staff at Hedgesville too. But my point is, is that I learned when I leaned my ladder against the church wall, I learned a lot about how to discover passion and how to navigate through it. I found an energy that I didn't have. I didn't share the scripture in the first service. Ecclesiastes 11.6, it's one of my favorites. It says, sow your seed in the morning and in the evening, don't let your hands be idle because you don't know which will bear fruit, this or that, or both will do equally well. And my life has been that. Maybe you're in a place where, man, I got a job, I got to feed my family, but you got this passion you buried way over here, this dream to do something way over here. And so you do nothing. No, you can do your job in the morning, sow your seed in the morning, do your work in the morning, whatever your job, but you can also plant a few seeds over here in that thing that you really, you really have a passion for. And throughout my life, I've seen this, that if I sow my seed in the morning, sow my seed in the evening, it's amazing how sometimes one will eventually start to outgrow the other one and I'll step right into it. It's happened over and over again. And so don't bury your passion that that thing that you have a desire to do. And I would encourage you, listen, let me, re, let me, let me, let me paraphrase the Mark Mason version of this scripture. Sow your seed in the morning and in the evening, don't let your hands be idle. You don't know which is going to bear fruit, either this or that or both will do equally well. Here's the Mark Mason paraphrase. Do your job in the morning and in the evening, don't spend mindless hours watching Netflix, gawking at social media and playing video games. Instead, invest your, your time in something productive that you love to do or would like to learn about. Who knows, one day it could become your full-time job. And if you can't figure that out, give your spare time to serving the body of Christ in any capacity. That's my translation of that scripture. I didn't brag on my son in the first service, and I repent of that. And, uh, you know, I know the Bible says not to be boastful. I'm just going to go ahead and disobey that for a second. Um, My son uh, has a song out. Uh, My son signed with Atlantic Records about... Two years ago, and he's sold out a bunch of small clubs on one tour, and he's done really, really well. He's played a lot of festivals and stuff like that. And actually, we're leaving here immediately following this service and going up to New York City to watch the taping of the late show with Seth Myers. Matt will be on that show tomorrow night. And uh, he's done really, really well. And like him or love him, let me tell you something, he's going to tell you the truth if you listen to his music. He is not writing songs just for you. He, he's really, I can tell you this, he loves Jesus and he loves people. And he doesn't feel called to ministry. He's called to make music and write modern day psalms about the trials that he's gone through for the sake of other people. Uh, and so, but there was a time when Matt didn't know what he wanted to be when he grows up. And so he has a song out. And it's called Feel Good. And these are the lyrics. It's on his latest record. I think it's time that you crawl back home, son. Fire's still scorching. You've been scorned and you look abused. Did you get out all that angry passion? Is it still forming? Has it started to torture you? Traveling so far to get there, all just to be here again, all just to see what they saw back then. 
He sent me the lyrics when he first wrote them and said, Dad, this is about you. And I draw it right back to an actual conversation where he was out messing up, toying with drugs with other church kids, you know, getting into a little petty trouble and, you know, and, uh, and drinking really, really heavy. And, and, and he, he went on a cross country tour or just driving trip with a friend sleeping in his car, not playing music, but just sleeping in the car. They wanted to go to California, sleep, come all the way back. And he's like, Dad, hey, can I come stay with you guys for, you know, like a week until I can get on my feet and get a job. You know what that means, parents, right? And so we're all, we're all on tour in this in this this camper, and I said, uh, we're at home, but we're getting ready to go on tour, and I went out to his car one night, and I said, son, you're a rambling man like your dad and your mom, and if you don't stay in motion, the devil's going to take you out. I think you need to go on the road with us for a while and just see what, what God opens up. Now, imagine what it is for a 20-some-year-old kid to jump into a young man, to jump into a camper with Ma and Paul and travel for months out of the year. And he would play his songs for inmates in prisons everywhere we went, just him and his acoustic guitar. Never had a band. He never played bars or clubs or any of that kind of thing. He never auditioned for American Idol. He just played his songs for men and women behind bars. And he touched their hearts, and they'd stand on their feet, and they'd clap their hands. And the only time he ever played with a bass player and a drummer was two inmates that sat in on a couple of songs. And that was his musical career. I never even played with him before, music-wise. I showed him a couple of chords, and off he went right in his heart. He leaned his ladder against the church wall, what God was doing and what God had put in front of him. Certainly doesn't seem to a likely, likely, uh, uh, a likely path to a record contract, does it? Doesn't seem like a likely path to a, a, a making your living in music. Oh, go play print. No, he leaned his ladder against the church wall. And I'm just, am I telling you this morning that if you don't know what to do, you don't know what the next step is, maybe you're a young person, you can't put your finger on your passion, maybe you're older and you've lost your passion and you're looking for the next thing God might have for you, am I telling you to get yourself planted in the house of the Lord because it's here you will flourish? That's exactly what I'm telling you to do. Get yourself planted and in line with what God is doing in the earth and God will resonate his spirit with yours and show you the things you can't see yet. He wants you to live with passion. He wants people to see your life and say, man, that is remarkable what they're doing. He loves when people drive by this church and he can, and people see what passionate people put on this property. Why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray for you real quick. Lord, I know that you understand passion. It was your passion for us that sent you to the cross to die for all of the times that we would sin against you, past, present, and future. But you are so passionate for us, so focused, so intensely committed to accomplish what God gave you to do that you opened the door that if we would invite you into our lives, Jesus, that we would know what the Father has in store for each and every one of us. And so I just pray, if anything, that today you whet the appetite of people to go go further, dig deeper, the things that maybe they've buried or they've yet to discover, to plant themselves in your house so that ultimately you get the glory. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, they've not invited you, 
Lord, explain to their heart through your spirit what salvation is. That what you did on that cross, you bore our sins on that cross. That you rose from the dead and that you want fellowship with us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.